Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Secret Sauce of Selling podcast, the ultimate guide and sales gym to unlocking the secrets of successful selling. I'm your host, James Abraham, and I'm excited to be here with you today to share insights, tactics, and strategies to help you take your sales performance and sales leadership game to the next level. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. This week, we have Ben Williams, who's also known as the product-led geek. Did I get that right? You did, yeah. That is amazing. I'm going to let you tell us all about what that means. So Ben, tell us a little bit about who you are and uh, what you do and what brought you to where you are today. Thanks, James. It's, it's great to be here. Thanks very much for, for having me. Um, in a nutshell, I'm an advisor to founders and product and growth leaders of you know post-product market fit, growth stage, B2B SaaS companies, where I help them win with PLG, product-led growth. Uh, most often, I'm either helping traditional sales-led companies who are kind of layering on PLG or helping PLG native companies introduce sales motions that are powered by product usage. Um, prior to uh, starting up my own advisory practice, uh, I was uh, with Sneak, the cybersecurity unicorn, where I led product teams for all the groups owning growth, education, and end-to-end developer experience. And prior to that, uh, I led product growth and design at another DevOps unicorn called CloudBees. Um, been in product for nearly 25 years now, but actually cut my teeth in the business world as a pre-sales engineer. That's amazing. Well, today's topic is supercharging your selling with product-led sales and product-led growth. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what that means? Sure. So um, maybe just kind of a, a little fundamental rundown around PLG. For those that don't know what PLG is, it's, it's an abbrevi- abbreviation for product-led growth. And it's a go-to-market motion that relies on the product as the primary driver of new user acquisition, retention, and monetization. So with PLG, the product does the heavy lifting in bringing users to the product, getting them to realize value, and build habits around that value, and helping them make them aware of uh, the additional value that they can ultimately pay for. And PLG can you know, support kind of direct monetization of users, but also what we refer to as indirect monetization, where your existing users are helping bring in other users who we subsequently monetize. So a a really key principle with PLG is um, shifting the realization of value so that it's before a paywall, in contrast to kind of traditional sales-led growth, where we ask customers to pay for our product before they can access its value. Yeah, uh, could you share a few famous product-led growth uh, products that we're probably all use uh, that the listeners can kind of wrap their head around to, to understand how close it is to their to their worlds. Yeah, some some like very common examples would be Zoom, would be the likes of uh, Miro, for example. Um, in the developer tooling space, Atlassian, Sneak, those kind of products. Yeah, Slack's a great example uh, for, yep, yep. great example. So let's take, uh, let's unpack this and, and go down that that selling uh, path for a second. So, you know, businesses grow and a lot of times they start with a, with a PLG type of an approach and uh, then transition into bringing in the sales. 
I personally believe that PLG and sales should go together. Um, I think they complement each other. I mentioned earlier that um, from for, for the most part, it's like if you take a yacht and the yacht's got a big engine, a diesel engine, but also has sails. I see the engine as a sailing piece, and then I see the I see the sails um, as the uh, as a PLG part, and you just have to know how to adjust the sails to try to pick up some velocity and some speed. So, tell us a little bit about what that connection between product and sales what what does that mean from your point of view and, and why is it important for these lists for our listeners to really take this under consideration or for them to enhance their selling careers and as a business leaders their their, their businesses yeah so i think one there's a common misconception um, let me go back a bit so when people talk about product-led growth the association is very often with a self-serve monetization flow. So where the user of the product, you know, buys one of your paid plans without any human touch whatsoever, no salespeople involved. And, you know, that's, that's totally valid and it's an incredibly efficient motion, right? But it also has a couple of problems. So first of all, it is inherently limited in scale. So in B2B SaaS, as you move up market and target bigger opportunities in ACVs, you're obviously going to hit hard limits on credit cards. You're even going to hit kind of just limits in willingness to drop so much on a credit card beyond a level that someone feels comfortable with. And the second thing is you're going to often get to this situation where the person in the company who holds the purse strings and ultimately is signing off on a purchase actually isn't one of the users, right? And, and increasingly, as you kind of scale in larger and larger deals, that scenario becomes more likely. So what do you do if, if either or both of those things are true? And of course, that's where sales teams come in. But sales teams and the sales process in, in the best product-led companies, I think, look and work differently to the way they do in traditionally kind of sales-led companies. And the real core difference for me is that the opportunities that sales are pursuing in these product-led companies are driven by product usage. So there's there's a bunch of other stuff that, that shapes an opportunity in this model, but the primary driver is this usage of, of the product that we see within a team, within a company. So th this is the model that we call product-led sales. And, you know, it's for me, it's an incredibly uh, efficient way to, to run the sales process. You know, you can imagine perhaps three, three conversations with a, with a potential buyer. The first is where you've reached out cold. You know, you're using all your sales chops, but ultimately you have little information to base the conversation from. The second is where you've, you've got a warm inbound lead via some kind of marketing asset, you know, less hurdles to overcome there, of course, um, than in the first conversation, but you've still got a lot of selling to do. And then the third one, you're able to kind of frame the entire conversation around, basically around the value that the, the teams within the buyer's company are already getting from the product. And the buyer maybe knows this already because, you know, they've had people in different teams talking with them about the product, you know, there's trust there that's kind of already been earned. A lot of the selling's already been done for you. And you can really kind of focus on painting this picture around the company level benefits, enterprise level benefits that justify that, that bigger contract. So which of those sounds like a higher percentage close, right? You know, in, in most cases, it's going to be the third. Um, yeah. Go on, sorry. You go, ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say like those, those three scenarios for me, they can, they can happily all kind of coexist. You know, I'm, 
I definitely wouldn't advocate that you stop ed, stop stop efforts on outbound or you know inbound. You always want to be responsive to to inbound. But layering on this product led sales motion, I think, is going to be an eventuality for almost all uh, software. Yeah, I mean, just the best case scenario for the listeners here. Imagine you're you're in sales or your business leader. Imagine that you sell a product, and let's imagine that a few people or users starting to use your product for example and they gave it you know it was so cool that their friends started to use it and their friends friends started to use it and you get that viral coefficient c plus one that holy grail of everyone everyone's looking for um and then you know who knows you've got a company you've got a thousand users or 500 users or even 50 users i think 50 users is a good number you know, all you need to do is knock on the door of the ceo and say you know mr ceo nice to meet you you got 50 people using our product maybe we should have a conversation um, but it's really gaining that stickiness, right? It's really getting that viral coefficient, getting people to start to use and bring in their friends and bring in their colleagues and create that level of stickiness. Could we talk about that for a second? Because that, I think, is is an interesting an interesting topic to to discuss here. Yeah, for sure. So when I think about stickiness, what I think about is habits and building habits, mm. um, and to me, that that means engagement. So. When we think about getting users to be engaged and by definition, therefore retained, that's what we want to promote. We want to promote um, getting users and their teams to build habits around the product so that they keep using the product in perpetuity. And we have more and more opportunity to expose additional use cases and so on that we can subsequently use as part of our monetization model. So there's there's an inherent responsibility on on product teams and usually product growth teams to to drive this. Um, you often hear about kind of getting to that habit, but moment being uh, part of what we call the activation process. We can think of the activation process as taking a user from kind of first becoming aware of the product to signing up. Once they signing up, kind of going through any setup steps that they need to kind of get to some value experiencing some value for the first time. We think of that as kind of the aha moment. Actually, there might be a few aha moments. And then getting to a point where we call a habit moment, which is effectively um, having reached some point that demonstrates they have built a habit around using the product. And there is some um, improved correlation with downstream long-term retention and propensity to buy. And so it, it's all about kind of approaching that in a scientific way from the product side, such that you understand those behaviors, and then you can start to influence those behaviors to drive people on that journey. Yeah. I'm, so for anyone listening and you want to get an idea, um, for those of you who know Reid Hoffman uh, from LinkedIn, and he had a concept with regards to how do I get people to stick and move on and use this consistently, as you mentioned, a habit. I'm in the behavioral business as well. And um, consumer habits is what drives revenue. And uh, he, he, he refers to the seven deadly sins um, as, a, a, as a force to drive uh, that ha- building up habit of, 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 uh, of usage. But I want to take this more to the B2B world. And in the B2B world, it's, it's tricky to get people to use things for free. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of, you know, we have a certain amount of attention we have a certain amount of tools and, um, and of course KPIs. So, you know, what are companies doing today in order to enhance that stickiness with regards to actually using something for the right reasons without 
putting pressure, you know, without implementing too much pressure. Did I, did I phrase that right? Yeah, it's, it's fine. I mean, I mean, ultimately, right. PLG is a, is a concept that has been popularized, a name that has been popularized in a B2B concept, uh, context rather, but it is, it is no more really than applying all of the same principles that we've seen in the consumer world and uh, all of the types of consumer applications that we have become accustomed to. We think of this as, you know, PLG as the consumerization of, of, uh, of enterprise software. Um, and all of those kind of approaches to kind of the, the behavioral psychology in, in the software world we're just lever we're just leaning on those things that we've learned from uh from the B, uh, b2c world and bringing them into into b2b now so um yes in some cases it's hard um there's a lot going on like everything from you know the the frequency of use case that you're solving for with your product you know it's really hard to build habits if your product has a natural usage frequency of like 6 weeks 3 months over a year, right? You know, there's, there's, there's products out there that, uh, you know, helping you find car insurance, for example, right? That's, uh, yeah. that's not a, not something you're doing on a very regular basis, right? Um, there's products you're using daily. It's much easier to build habits around those. So there are things like that, that you absolutely need to consider, but, but ultimately the, the fundamentals exist that you are, your product is solving a problem. And there is some periodicity to that problem, and you want to try and build habits around um, them using your product to solve that problem. And if your if your if your frequency of use for that problem, it kind of the natural usage frequency of that problem occurring is is too broad, then a common tactic is actually to try and identify adjacent use cases that address other problems that are potentially a, a higher frequency. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky problem when you've got that kind of longer longer period, but either way, it's all about building habits. And which verticals are really hot when it comes to uh, PLG, PLS these days? Uh, I know cybersecurity is pretty good when it comes to this stuff, but are there any other areas that you find these days that are actually the potentials out there? Um, habit, behavioral change is required. Um, and there are new, new, new issues that are being, are being solved these days that, that PLS and PLG actually cater for. So I'm, I'm going to say every product, Ooh. every market there is, wow. is ripe for disruption by, by product led motions. I think that every company that doesn't at least, um, apply product led principles to how they think about engaging and retaining their users is ultimately going to be disrupted by some competitor at some point that does apply those principles. So, you know, completely market independent and it will happen to some markets sooner than it does to others. But I think that's the path. So you're saying this is, this is the norm. I think so. Yeah. It's the new norm. Interesting. I love it. And, and so let's talk about the PLS piece. So how do sales, how do sales leaders, sales professionals, how do they really balance this whole uh, approach with regards to, um, uh, you know, product and, and it being out there before they engage, after they engage, while they're engaging, 
Are there any best practices that you suggest? And, and you know, what are your thoughts when it comes to uh, to their angle? Because I know salespeople, this, you know, this you know, they want to make a living, and they're like, "Wow, they've been giving stuff away for free here. How can I benefit? How can I, you know, how can I have an edge?" What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think the the core of of product led sales is is building a strong pipeline of opportunities. Uh, based on what we call product qualified accounts or PQAs, um, I think it's something that can be, you know, equally impactful for PLG native companies who are looking to scale, and for traditionally sales-led companies who, who do want to kind of layer on PLG and make their go-to-market processes more efficient. So, PQAs really are, I think, they're at the core of of the product-led sales process. Um, I've written a bunch of stuff on 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 the topic that maybe we can link to in the in the show notes but basically a a pqa is what drives some form of sales engagement with an opportunity and my definition of a pqa is where it's basically an, an existing or prospective customer within your icp who meets some objective scoring criteria that signals um that sales team involvement would be beneficial to help monetize mm-hmm. interesting so you're scoring it and then basically knowing when they should get involved, if they should get involved. Yeah, like the, the, the process is, I think you can break, break it down into kind of four steps. Like you've, you've got inputs, basically the data that's kind of feeding into the process, mm-hmm. the scoring, um, what you do with that score, the action, and then this kind of feedback loop that, that I call um, review. So inputs there. It's like the raw data that we use to inform the scoring model. So um, I I think of that in kind of four areas. I think the first and possibly the most important is the behavioral data. So basically what users and teams are doing across the product, you know, how many of them are doing it, how often they're doing it and so on. You get that from instrumenting the product itself. The second is data about use cases, which tells you like why different users within the account are here actually using your product. And you Mm -hmm. you typically get that from data that they tell you during onboarding because you've asked. The third is firmographic data. So it tells you kind of where users and their teams work. Um, Some of that might be self-declared through onboarding questions, but likely you have some kind of enrichment um, going on there too. Um, and the fourth is it's not always applicable, but it's ecosystem data, which tells you kind of what other relevant adjacent tools and platforms are being used within the account. And you usually get that from kind of what integrations they're connecting. So those are the kind of four pieces of um, pieces of data that inform the model. Then you've got the scoring itself. Um, so you, you're going to get all of that data and you're going to feed it into this model. Um, you're combining it, you're processing it, and what's popping out the other end is a basically a PQA score for the account. So um, it, there's a bunch of tools that you can use this. Most people start internally kind of with a data team to help them kind of figure that some of this stuff out. It's going to take a while, inevitably, to get to somewhere you're happy with. Um, there's going to be a lot of iteration. It, you should always be iterating on it. Um, but a good place to start is just running some simple regressions, you know, on past wins and losses and trying to correlate that to the things that you're seeing in, in kind of product data. You're trying to build something ultimately that, you know, is is um, predictive of increased likelihood to convert. And if you, you know, if you don't have that historical data yet to make that kind of analysis possible, then 
just kind of going back to basics, speaking with sellers and, and figuring out the, the common threads that they've seen in the past um, for the value in the product that resonates best best with customers during uh, during a sales cycle. Yeah, I so love that. Cool. I love the scoring concept. Um, I think that's that's genius. And you know, working with companies over the years, I've noticed, and, and companies do realize that they need to have a product led approach to an extent. But what I've seen from our end is uh, they struggle from a, uh, I like to use the airplane analogy. So taking off is really getting people to start to use something, right? And then, you know, having them really kind of start to get, climb up and gain altitude and start to cruise, getting them to really make it stick and make it make, you know, make them actually use it consistently. And then bringing them into landing is like really converting that freemium model into a paying customer and generating a business opportunity. Um, and the, you know, those three areas sometimes can be so tricky. Some companies are great at doing one, some companies are great at doing two, but most companies struggle with all three areas, getting them going, building up uh, altitude, getting that stickiness, and then bringing them in uh, for landing. And, and the last piece, and, and that's sometimes one of the biggest challenges, is how do we really recognize where we have good opportunity? And uh, a lot of times there's not enough, I'd say, analysis uh, in the data. And I, and I love the fact that you say, look, just look at the raw data. It's there. You just know how to slice and dice it and find those opportunities. And yeah, you might miss a few. That's okay. Um, but, you know, we need to miss a few to, to get it to, you know, to get the gold. And, and so very accurate. Um, are there I any? Think... Yeah, go ahead. So I was just going to say, I love that analogy. And I think, um, you know, there's there's going to be different ways that you execute that landing depending on what you're yeah. seeing right as well which i think that kind of neatly goes into the kind of the next part of the the process which is the action right and you the model flags a pqa so you you know that you need to action that somehow um the way you determine kind of what landing trajectory what runway you're going to land on um, that, the weather, the weather, all of this stuff. Exactly Absolutely. right. It, it's all it's all variable. Um, but you need basically all, what I recommend at least is kind of playbooks supporting this um, mm. to target specific scenarios. Like like maybe it's maybe you're looking at with this particular PQA. We're talking about kind of expanding from one plan to another. Maybe it's. Uh, product expansion going from one use case to another maybe it's usage consolidation where you're seeing different pockets of usage within a company and you're trying to kind of bring them together under a, an enterprise contract or or maybe it's looking at a specific use case and taking someone from a free plan to a paid plan so you know depending on those different kind of use cases you're going to be executing different playbooks and um i think the the one thing to perhaps be aware of there is that depending on the the product and the and the scale of the opportunity, it's not uncommon to get these PQAs with no identified buyer, right? Um, yeah. Particularly as you scale into larger and larger opportunities, it's less likely that the buyer will be within that user base. So, you know, you, you've got to watch out for that. You, and, and you've got to start to join the dots then with, you know, account-based marketing, exploratory sales outreach. So um, that's just something uh, something to be aware of. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, and I come from the world of, uh, you know, sales performance. We talk a lot about the psychology of the buyer, the psychology of the seller, but the psychology of the buyer. And people are pretty predictable once you understand the psychology behind what they do. Um, and, and that behavioral piece we discussed at the beginning, I think that's important for us to really figure out towards... 
um, the more advanced stages in order to understand how we can bring that airplane in for, for a smooth landing where we want to. Because at the end of the day, as you know, people are predictable, um, companies have problems, they have pain. And if we're able to tie all that stuff together for the right reasons, um, under the right circumstances, then um, it, it's a shorter, shorter go-to-market. Um, then well, this I, has been... I think that's... Yeah. I was gonna, sorry, just... I think it generally is a, a, a shorter go-to-market, but there's also a, a trap that you can fall into, right? So if you recall my, my definition of PQA, included ICP in there. So part of the scoring is also ICP matching where um, the firmographic data really comes in. So you have, you, know, you have a set of accounts who are using the product, a subset of those will be accounts within your ICP, and a subset of that subset will be those ICP accounts that meet your PQA scoring criteria. And it's those opportunities that you want to be focused on. Mm. Um, just because you see an account using the product who's in your ICP doesn't mean it's the right time to engage. You know, 100%. you want to wait for the right usage signals before outreach. And that might take, you know, it might be five days after the, the account signed up. And, you know, you see an influx of users, some threshold has been reached, or it might take several months to reach there. And just because they're in your ICP, don't be premature and jump in there because you can kind yeah. of really kind of kill the, the And that's process. in selling, we call that, make sure you're still rational, not emotional. Love that. Yeah. Excellent. Ben, this has been uh, awesome. Um, I've just, there's so much we can talk about. I have to have you back. I like to talk about gamification. I like to talk about how to, how, you know, how companies um, incorporate social media um, just to gain more traction. Um, and uh, so now we have a reason to invite you back. Awesome. But before we wrap it up, I think I'm going to, my next question to you is um, what's your secret sauce of selling? So, yeah, I think we covered, I guess, a lot of the the detail of it already through our conversations. I'd have, I'd have to say, I think my secret source of selling is is product led sales. But behind all the things we we talked about, really, I think, is the collaboration between product and go to market teams. You know, it's it's bringing product, data, marketing, and sales teams together to to drive massive impact. Um, combining self serve monetization for extreme low end efficiency. While higher up, you're leveraging product usage in the sales process to drive lower CAC, higher lifetime value, increased net dollar retention. No, it's easily said and pretty hard to do well. Um, but you have to fundamentally have a strong product with good usage based retention. And you need to create a culture that promotes generosity and a user first approach. Your incentives need to be aligned too. You know, there's a bunch of stuff that, that makes it really hard. But with most things that are difficult, you know, I think ultimately it's worth it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, this is a point uh, just before we wrap up to, uh, to give a shout out to our sponsors, Novacy. Uh, Novacy unlock behavioral insights from virtual meetings to close more deals. Uh, Novacy's AI for sales intelligence record, analyzes, and provides insights on, body, uh, insights on body language, verbal communication, and uh, emotional and behavioral uh, uh, reactions. So check out Novacy.io. Um, ben, is there anything you're reading right now or listening to? It could be even a movie, a play. I mean, people share amazing stuff here. Anything that you would uh, highly recommend listeners uh, just to wrap their head around this concept and how important it is for uh, the future of sales? Yeah, well, um, I'll give a shout to two newsletters. One is my own. Um, okay, that's a good one. Unselfishly. 
uh, I guess before that, though, um, Lenny's newsletter is, uh, I think, the de facto kind of destination for all things product and growth. And um, particularly just, just recently, uh, he's had a guest on his podcast, Elena Werner, who talks about product-led sales in depth. That's an amazing resource, so anyone should uh, should go and check that out. Um, so lennysnewsletter.com, you'll be able to jump off from there to the newsletter or the podcast. Uh, and my own um, newsletter is uh, at plg.news. Awesome. Let's check it out. Ben, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I look forward to seeing you again soon. Um, and all the best on uh, on your journey as the product-led geek. I mean, I mean, I can say that and get away with that. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And for to all the me. listeners, thanks so much. Uh, till next time, no guts, no gain. As you notice, there's so many different angles on sales. There's so many different moving parts these days. Make sure that you have what you need to support you. Uh, until next time, sell well, good selling, and be the best you can be.